0: This is the Professional Hypnotherapist Podcast, session number 006. Karina McAvoy on Child and Young Adult Anxiety. Welcome to the Professional Hypnotherapist Podcast, a production of the European Association of Professional Hypnotherapists. That's E-A-P-H dot I-E. Hello, I'm your host, Aidan Noon. Before we get started, just imagine. Imagine being on a journey, a journey of not even knowing where your starting point is, a journey of uncertainty, from a place of worry, a place of fear, perhaps even from a place of being lost and being stuck. In today's podcast, we speak with Karina McAvoy, a psychoeducation specialist and hypnotherapist. Karina shares with us her own story, her own journeying from a place of fear and anxiety in early childhood to a place of knowing, a place of certainty and success in adulthood. Corina invites you two to journey and above all be accompanied and arrive safely to a place of where you can find the real you, to a place of self-belief, a place of, I've got this, I can do this. Discover all of this and more on today's edition of the Professional Hypnotherapist Podcast. Karina states that she must address the serious epidemic that's occurring today, and that epidemic is child and young adult anxiety. Karina McAvoy, welcome.
1: Thank you, Aidan. Thank you very much for having me on. It's great to chat to you today.
0: That's a very bold statement to make, yet it reflects, I suppose, the reality of present-day life.
1: It does indeed, and I guess I feel very compelled because I myself, Aiden, was that really anxious child, that real sensitive child who, back, we're going back 30 years ago, I'm telling you uh-huh. my age now, I, I was that child that um, was sensitive and suffered air quotes with my nerves. And fast forward to me having my own two children, yeah. I realised that, you know what, this is something that is very much experienced all around the world. And um, it really doesn't discriminate where it is felt either. And something, I really felt that something needed to be done to address this issue.
0: Uh Now, when I was growing up, Fado, Fado and Erin, as they say, you know, children were to be seen and not heard. Nowadays, they are seen and they're heard. And rightly so, I've no issue with that. But Mm -hmm. so... What is contributing to it? And the further question is, like how, to how much is technology, mobile phones, social media, how much is that contributing to childhood anxiety?
1: Well, I have done quite a bit of research into childhood anxiety as a parent
0: uh-huh.
1: um, and simply as a parent myself, before I even became um, a therapist. And I really believe myself that modern day society, this society that we're living in, uh-huh. is absolutely feeding and growing and developing anxiety in kids and teens. The society that we're living in today, it's, it's so busy. It's so busy, Aidan. We, mm-hmm. feel, we feel that we cannot allow our children to be bored. We feel, I think, as parents, that if our children are bored, then we are not doing a great job. We also have this um, idea as parents that we want to protect our children so much from every single little thing. So we are sheltering them and, of course, cocooning them, which can bring on the society when they when they leave this cocoon of certainty and safety. Yes, we're supposed to be safe havens, but pushing, preparing the road. Um, preparing the child for the road rather and not the road for the child I also think in this society you're right, we have so much technology to keep us busy, to keep our head busy, we're constantly entertained, we're constantly stimulated, there's so much news, there's news 24 7, the news is the majority of it is doom and gloom so we're kind of living in a doom and gloom society um, and I um, also, everything is instant. Everything is convenient. Mm-hmm. You know, if I wake up tonight and I, I can't sleep, say, at three o'clock in the morning and I want to do my Tesco shop or I want to buy a pair of jeans, I can do that from my bed. Everything is so convenient. There's no waiting anymore. So all of these things, I, I really believe, lead to this development and growth of anxiety.
0: Mm-hmm. And. Listening to you there, this seems to be this element of what I would call overload. We're overloaded, we're bombarded with with information, with with stimulus all the time.
1: Absolutely. I mean overload in every sense from being so busy and stressed out with work, with school, with college, um, then home, home life. Um also overload with um, after school sport especially for kids like after school sports and activities and filling their days and feeling like we have to to be there and on demand and having Mm -hmm. our kids doing um, activities all the time and then bringing it back to technology if they're not doing anything then you know um using technology to uh be a stimulus in that downtime, in that quiet time. And I mean, you'll often see many kids or teens and they're multi-screening now. So watching a TV while on a phone or on an iPad or watching TV while on an iPad plus texting on the phone. So, so much multi-screening going on as well. And overload, I mean, Aidan, if you go out into any coffee shop now that we're allowed to go back into coffee shops, but pre-isolation, if you went into any coffee shop or any restaurant and looked around, you would be you would be very hard set to find anybody who is sitting on their own without being on some form of technology. Mm-hmm. And I even have my hands up to this also. Um, I would have been very much the same until I realized, you know, gosh, I can actually just put this away for five minutes. Um, my, my pet hate, I think, is actually seeing I love going out and seeing families in restaurants or in coffee shops. I think it's amazing. But then the kids take out the technology they're missing out on that opportunity of communication. They're missing out on the opportunity of, of learning the skill even of communication.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it's almost as though, uh, Karina, you know, that, that, that being on your own, that there's a certain, you know, awkwardness about, you know, mm-hmm. being on your own. And in other words, really what I'm getting at, I suppose, is dealing with your own thoughts rather than being, than being distracted, the stuff going on in your head.
1: Absolutely. And I think um, as a therapist, it's very important for us to allow ourselves to be bored, to allow ourselves to be on our own and to make friends with our emotions, to listen to our thoughts. Um, What are our thoughts telling us? As you know yourself, our thoughts are very important because they will lead to how we feel. And if we are feeling um, in a negative state it's really good for us to look at how we're thinking, how are our thoughts and to, to you know, if necessary, work around challenging those thoughts and changing those thoughts. Mm-hmm. But emotions, I feel it is important for us to sit with our emotions and allow ourselves to feel those emotions.
0: Yeah, and that's very interesting. Um, also, I note from um, your website, you talk about turning the what if into the. It will be okay.
1: Yes, absolutely. I really believe in that. Um, when I was growing up as a child, I uh, I was very much an anxious child. But back then, my parents didn't know I was an anxious child. There was no such thing as the word anxiety, really. And I used to worry, what if I couldn't pay the mortgage? Like, I think I was six or seven, didn't even know what a mortgage was. I was worried about um, the health of my parents, the health of people around me. I was worried about school. I was worried about if mammy went to uh, the shops, what time she would be back. Would there be enough time to, to make dinner? I was very worried about other people, you know, and there was a lot of what ifs, what if this, what if that. And I was never, ever able to back it up with the thought that, look, it, it will be okay. I can deal with it. Mm. It was always that what if always led me to catastrophe thinking. If that happens, it's going to be a disaster. Hence, bringing about my feeling of just total and pure anxiety.
0: Yes. Now, you mentioned also on your website that... There are thousands of children attending GPs with mental health issues.
1: Well, pre-COVID, yeah. when I was looking into this, um, there was approximately seven out of ten kids were sending were attending GPs for issues around mental health. Uh, GPs are wonderful people. Um, I highly recommend visit to GPs. And GPs will say themselves they are trained for physical illness. They are, that's what they're trained for. And injuries, physical illness, and they are being absolutely bombarded with mental health issues. So they are referring the kiddies and teens on to CAMS. And CAMS at the moment have a major, major uh, waiting list. We're talking, you could be talking two and a half years at the moment, Aiden to see a Mm -hmm. specialist in CAMS. Because the, you know, the unfortunately in Ireland at the moment the staff is not there you know we're even waiting for psychologists in the southeast area yeah and I believe that in the last couple of weeks the job the job now maybe it has been filled since I was um been researching it in the last couple of weeks but up until the beginning of October or August it still hadn't been filled um as far as I'm aware um and the thing about anxiety Aidan is it's such a it's it's kind of deemed as a low level mental health issue, right? So if we go to the GP with this issue, because it's on the lower scale of mental health, when it goes to CAMS, it's put on the the longer waiting list, and the more moderate and severe, and rightly so, I guess, kids um, or mental health issues are seen first. So kids with anxiety issues are then waiting longer and longer. Now, in my opinion, anxiety is a really normal response. We all have this response. However, it's become a word and it's become something that we're all very much afraid of. So the first place we go, I guess, is the GP. We think that there's something extremely, extremely wrong. And in my opinion, it's a normal response. And once we teach kids and teens... that it is a normal response and a little bit of psychoeducation around it and how we can turn that around anxiety itself can be overcome by the person. I really believe in, in, in most cases, Mm -hmm. however, when it goes to the GP and then is sent to the cams and we're waiting like two, two and a half years, that anxiety can spiral into more moderate to severe mental health issues.
0: And listening, of course, To you there, Um, what's coming into my mind is, you know, this whole notion of, you know, specifically what are the issues that children are presenting to GPs with? uh, And also that to what extent is the anxiety caused by children not having their needs met?
1: Well, children are presenting with um, a lot of sleep issues, a lot of distress and Distress separating from parents, um, a lot of school refusal, um, also a lot of sickness, you know, um, anxiety issues can bring around a lot of um, what we would perceive as tummy issues, um, headaches, just feeling unwell also. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, there is there's quite a lot of distress when it comes to what I see with the kiddies when going to school, separating from from parents and with teens, an awful lot of social anxiety, a lot of social phobia um, a lot of anxiety around the stress of exams, of school pressures also. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, teens sometimes present with with feeling that feeling of depression or signs of depression, because just bringing it back to not being able to sit with that anxiety, just trying to run away from that anxiety—it's exhausting. It's actually exhausting.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it sounds very very serious, and and um, you know, as as therapists, you know, what 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 can a therapist, and more specifically. Um, a hypnotherapist do uh, in terms of how do they intervene in the, these presenting symptoms?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I myself, I will work around a lot of psychoeducation as well. So a lot of, because um, my background is teaching actually, at and mm-hmm. I was a geography and business teacher for many years and I studied hypnotherapy when I was teaching. And when I was teaching, I studied hypnotherapy, actually, um, just to come off your question for a second, because when I met my husband, he was very ill with Crohn's disease, Mm Aidan, a very, very sick man, and he was using hypnotherapy. He was using self-hypnosis to manage his pain, and I thought this was absolutely fascinating. It was my first introduction to hypnotherapy. I had visited um, many therapists as a as a person myself and to deal with my own anxiety in the past. So this was totally new. And I looked into this a little bit more and I realized, gosh, there's a lot more to this hypnotherapy. There is so much to our subconscious mind. And this is absolutely fascinating. And I can use this as as a tool and as a source of Um, self-development and, you know, helping myself with um, anxiety. So I went and studied it and then I began to help Some of the teenagers that I was working with in school with parental permission who were extremely anxious and nervous around exam times in particular. Mm -hmm. So using very simple little techniques by relaxing the conscious mind and just speaking and suggesting to the subconscious mind, increasing confidence around the exams. We were able to help the students become more confident, become more calm and relaxed when when facing the leaving cert or the junior cert. And that kind of blew me away. Also, I seen the power of hypnosis. So after I had my own kids, I decided that um, I would set up as a, a therapist myself. And. As a therapist now, I think it's important to build in the psychoeducation, as I was talking about, around anxiety, around emotional intelligence, um, what our emotions are, to make friends with them and to be able to face them. Because all of our emotions are there to send us a message or even to keep us safe. Anxiety is there to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. So... Hypnotherapy, I use suggestion hypnotherapy um, to help the clients relax and to um, build in suggestions around management of the the anxiety, of certain feelings, anger also, and to build in a lot of confidence for the client also.
0: Mm -hmm. What would be a typical case?
1: A typical case I would see quite a lot would be separation anxiety among the younger children. Um, children attending play school, children attending primary school for the first time see a lot of separation anxiety Um, for teenagers a lot of a a serious lack of self confidence and I think that really does come back to social media um, a fear of social judgement that I think would be one of the main ones I see in teenagers
0: Mm -hmm. and you mentioned uh, again going back to your website. You talk about turning self-doubt into confidence.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think it's amazing when we, when we look back to us as babies, <laughs> and when we look back or when we think back to us as little babies, we were all born confident babies if we wanted our our bottle of milk or whatever we we actually you know made sure we got that bottle of milk we weren't in our cots saying maybe i'll wait maybe mommy's busy or maybe daddy can't get to me now if we wanted it we got it we were confident kids fast forward you know a year or two we are learning to walk and every time we fall down, we get back up again and we learn it. We're so confident. We have so much self belief. But then as we, we um, pass through life, we just take on, um, you know, maybe little opinions or um, ideas from other people. And that confidence can become clouded over um, and can be something really simple that's not meant in, in a hurtful way whatsoever. But as young kids, We are little sponges. We take on every single little thing. And it's all to do with our subconscious. Our subconscious, we have like a critical factor. It's almost like um, gates or it's almost like guards at the gate and the guards at the gate are going to decide what information we're going to take in, what information we're not going to take in. But as kids up to the age of approximately five, that those guards are asleep. They're fast asleep. And that's why kids are little sponges and every single thing goes in. And what I mean, even myself, I have kids like I could come along and say to my daughter, oh, brush the hair off your face. Like, I can't see your face or, you know, something. And the way I say it or what I say, she might think, oh, my gosh, like, you know, and have something around her hair. Then, you know, she might develop something around her hair. It may have gone into her subconscious. And so kitties are little sponges. Um, Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. So it's about getting, we can use hypnotherapy to to kind of clean up that fog. Or I have an image in my head of like getting a Mr. Sheen, getting the the polish and just polishing up that that confidence that we already have inside us. Every Mm -hmm. single one of us, we're born with that confidence. And it's just to get rid of that fog, that self-doubt and get back to that confidence.
0: And indeed, as a young child, you know, we are we're highly impressionable. And if, if, if an event or a happening is significantly emotionally charged, you know, that can, can have the effect, a negative effect for that child for the rest of their lives.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And that's actually one of the things that I don't like about the amount of news that we we take in every single day you know on the on the radio going to on going to car in school a home um on the laptop and the ipad or talking about because as adults we can filter out we can filter out like the the guards at the gate we can say right well, i'm going to take that on board i'm not going to take that on board Mm -hmm. but kiddies can't really do that they can't really filter out if they're seeing a clip of something on the news um yeah, they can't filter that. That's something that really goes in and, and you know, they are very um, t- soaking it all in. <clears throat> now, I'm not one for believing that we should shelter our kids either, but I definitely think, you know, age appropriate. And I think talking to our kids and explaining to them issues or whatever questions they have in their language for their age is very important. Mm-hmm.
0: And in your opinion and your experience, indeed, uh, are children open to, uh, to hypnosis and hypnotherapy specifically?
1: absolutely they absolutely do they absolutely love it and in fact kids are going around in hypnosis all the time anyway because they're so um suggestible as i say that critical factor is not there yet they're taking every single thing in and hypnosis when we think of hypnosis i guess um if we didn't know much about hypnosis or hypnotherapy, we'd almost think of somebody just kind of uh, knocking you out and getting you to act like a chicken. Mm. <laughs> but you and I, we know that's not the case. Uh, we we could become very hypnotized by a television program by reading a book and um, or Aiden, have you ever been on a drive and all of a sudden you realize you are at a certain point and you don't all remember some of the drive all the time? Yes, that is hypnosis. It's where our conscious mind, which is only 7%, which I find fascinating. That's where our conscious mind is just gone off somewhere and it's focusing on something else and it's busy, but our subconscious mind is still working. It's keeping us managing that car. Mm-hmm. Um, so kiddies, they um, they're in hypnosis all the time when they're playing with their toys or drawing or coloring. And actually, I would say to parents that um, a little trick that I would do around kids is when they are busy or when they're coloring in your presence, that is the best time to su- make a suggestion or give a, a focus on something positive. And. Mm. Um, And how I would do that is with with the child's um, parent or another friend or whatever, just say, gosh, you know what? They are. They're they're so good at going to bed last night. They are. They're so good now at going to bed. They are amazing. They're so calm and relaxed in their bed so that the child can hear. But you're not directly talking to them. So they're concentrating on their colouring and they're, you know, in their own little world. But their subconscious is listening.
0: Yes, I, I've al- always been fascinated uh, when I started to study hypnotherapy years ago. You know the the embedded command: um, "Are you mm-hmm. going? Uh, are you going to bed now or in ten minutes' time?" Like the embedded command is that you're going to bed.
1: You're going to bed, absolutely. I think <laughs> it's it's fantastic.
0: Uh-huh. Of
1: course, they'll always pick in ten minutes.
0: <laughs> oh, indeed, of course. Um, maybe just to focus on yourself uh, a little bit. Um, Karina, um, mm-hmm. just tell us something, a little something about you that not many people know.
1: A little something about me that not many people know. Oh, goodness. Uh, we could be getting into dangerous territory, <laughs> territory here. <laughs> Actually, not many people know, yeah. very few people know that I have given up drink in the last um, year. I am coming up to 13 months off drink. Okay, and now, yeah,
0: just just clarify impressive. that now, just clar- when you say come off drink, what was yeah. your consumption like?
1: <laughs> it actually wasn't too bad. I wasn't, you know, a major drinker, yeah. but yeah. Um, I have I have asthma. I have my inhaler beside me here. Okay. <laughs> I have asthma and I I found that, you know, if I. Actually, with lockdown, I found I was kind of having a few drinks every weekend. I have to admit, I was having a few drinks every weekend. And because I have asthma, I stay away from wine, I stay away from beer. So I drink, I used to drink whiskey, the hard stuff. So I I was having a few whiskeys every weekend. But um, I decided, do you know what? Because I used to smoke also. I used to smoke in my kind of late teenage, early adulthood. Mm. And I decided, just like with cigarettes, you know what, I've actually had enough of this and I'm going to give up. And I did. And literally just one weekend, I said, I've actually had enough of drink. You know, I'm kind of fed up, waking and feeling anxious the next day. I always get... I used to get an emotional hangover, and not a not a physical hangover. That's and interesting. I just, yeah, I would wake up fine, but feeling really anxious for the entire day. And I just said, you know what? I've had enough of that. And I I said, that's it, quitting. And I did.
0: Another thing that maybe not many people know about you is that you're an accomplished author. Tell us about that.
1: Yes. Well, this goes back to my childhood as well. I, I found writing, I found poetry. Uh, I find escaping into another world was an amazing way for, for me to cope with um, the, the anxiety that I was feeling, I guess. Mm. And I actually suffered from depression and OCD when I was a teenager also. So writing was a wonderful way for me to express myself Um, especially when I felt at the time there was no one really to talk to. Mm.
0: You you also, Um, if I may interrupt you, forgive me. By doing that, you also enter it into your own little world, your own little world Mm. of hypnosis, if you want to call it.
1: Oh, absolutely. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And I I just, I think, you know, I would really advise anybody um, out there to use their Use their skills and their strengths and their interests and, you know, the, the skill set that they've been given for their coping mechanisms for anxiety. So every single person I that has walked through my door Aiden, who comes to me with that feeling of anxiety is such a creative person. Such a creative person. Mm-hmm. And when we think about it, we kind of got to be creative to think up of all of these uh, terrible scenarios that are going yeah. to happen. We that's have an, to that, have a great imagination.
0: That's an excellent point. I love it. Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. Yeah. So I would say use that creativity in whatever shape or form, whether it's writing, art, photography, um, whatever it is to as a coping skill so mine was writing now I would like to say I'm great at art but I'm quite not (laughs) I'm terrible but writing um, I love writing so yes when I went on my career break I had my second daughter and I went on a career break Mm -hmm. and I always wanted to write a book so I created my own little world and it was wonderful for me. Anytime I ever felt a little bit, you know, anxious, I would just go into my own little world and create a life for these three characters and their ups and downs in life. And that was, it was a wonderful time because I was on career break. There was no pressure, no demands. And I really, really enjoyed it. Really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Yeah. So I published that in, I think it was 2016. And that was greatly received, which which was wonderful. And I then and what, said, "What's the
0: title of it?" Tell us.
1: So the title of that was yeah. "To Have Not Hold."
0: To have it's, not hold.
1: Yeah, to have not hold. Okay. It's a it's a fictional book, um, and it's actually based around. It's based around, and I, some people might think, "Hmm, I don't know about this," but it's based around the true happenings of people who experienced their loved ones who have passed. Mm. I have had people say to me, "It has been of comfort to them, actually, uh, because they felt they were the only person that this was happening to." Now they're reading it in the book, and <laughs> it was like I felt like you were you were talking about me in the book. Um, but yeah, these three characters—they have each have their ups and downs in life. They're each dealing with things. Um, I won't say too much in case anyone wants to read the book. But I thoroughly enjoyed reading or writing that book, and I decided I was going to write a sequel. But in the meantime, my first daughter Anna was starting national school, and when she started national school, she was quite she was quite a, a clingy child, quite anxious, if I can say that. A little bit of separation anxiety. And when I brought her to national school, I realized that this is not just Anna. This is like nearly every parent I was talking to. And that's when I began to realize, oh, my gosh, this is... This is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. Anna has actually gone into first year now. Um, Then that's when I really decided, no, I really want to look into this. I studied um, a little bit of child psychology. Um, I, you know, spoke to so many people. I read every article I could find, really looked into things. And I realized that's when I realized that this is an epidemic. And I also realized, Aidan, that it wasn't it wasn't all Anna. It wasn't all Anna being an anxious child. It was actually me also being an anxious parent. Mm. So I had to look at how I was parenting and change a little bit of what I was doing. I, I hold my hand up and say I was a little bit too overprotective. So I had to learn how to just let go a little bit, let go, have her by my side, but just let go a little bit and let her experience life. Um, so Anna has actually started secondary school now. And that girl is just amazing. She walked into secondary school ready to help anybody else who was nervous during the week. It That's was amazing.
0: Nice. So nice. proud
1: of yeah. yeah. Oh, so to go back, sorry, to go back to the writing. When I realized that, um, you know, this wasn't just myself and Anna. This was, gosh, nearly everyone I was talking to um i decided that you know i've got to work on myself and anna and then i done that for about six months and parents were coming over and asking me what what anna's changed so much what did you do and i was i found myself talking to a lot of parents about what i did and my view was to go back to teaching at the time and then i said you know what i do i'll actually write it all down in a book So I did. I wrote down all of my techniques, all of my thinking, my research down into a book for parents and one for kids. So the kiddie one is just for them to write little things in also to go through the book themselves or with the parent and then a parent book to explain everything. And I published that. And then I was invited to do a lot of talks in the southeast area. Um, And then people asked me, gosh, would you see my child? So then I decided, uh, okay, I'm going to give up teaching and I'm going to set up a therapy practice a hypnotherapy practice for kids and teens and I've never looked back
0: excellent and you mentioned separation anxiety mm-hmm. if, if there was a if there was a let's say a number of pointers or little tips that you could give to many parents out there who have children who are presenting with separation anxiety, what would you What little points of help could you give them?
1: Well, I think, um, gosh, there's, there's so many, I guess. I think the first, I think a really good bit of advice for parents when it comes to kiddies suffering with separation anxiety, or indeed any anxiety, is to think of yourself as an air hostess or cabin crew and think of yourself Um, No, think of yourself in in an airplane, actually, going somewhere on the airplane. And think of the airplane going through turbulence, okay? Mm -hmm. If the airplane is going through turbulence, we tend to look at the air hostess and what they're doing. Yeah, or the air stewardess, what they're doing. If they're sitting down and they're calm and relaxed, then we feel, oh, okay, yeah, everything's okay. But if we look and they're panicking... Then we go, oh my gosh, there really is something to panic about. So I say to parents, you are the air hostess. You are a cabin crew. When your child is going through a turbulent time, they're going to look to you to see is this really something I have to panic about? And if you're panicking and if you're stressed and if you're anxious, then they will think, yes, this is really bad. This is really bad because she's or he is panicking also. But if they look to you and you're OK and you've, you believe you've got this, you believe they've got this and that you can do hard things and that they can do hard things and you're calm and relaxed, then they will feel, even if they don't show it at the time, they will on the inside subconsciously feel that also. And I think that's probably the most important piece of advice.
0: Yes, it's, it's, it's very logical as well, because a child, they always look to the parent, um, whether it be for approval or, you know, the look on the face and they know they're OK. And it's important how, in other words, what I'm getting at here is the nonverbal behavior, as it were, from the, from the parent, because the child can pick the nonverbal stuff up, even though the Absolutely. words may some something else, but the, the physical appearance says a lot too
1: absolutely when i before covid Aidan before um isolation i used to do quite a few talks and courses um and, mm. and i done this little exercise where i would put my thumb and forefinger together to make the okay sign and i would ask the parents to do the same and then I would say okay I want you to copy me now I want you to put it on my on your cheek oh, yes. but I would put mine on my chin Yeah. yeah. and 99, 99% of the parents or people would put it also on their chin and then they would realize oh no she said cheek and that's literally just to prove that we tend and, and this is for kiddies yeah. they tend to do what they see and not what they hear yes
0: of course you know, as a result of COVID,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: we all know there are many adults out there, and indeed, there are obviously very ch- lot of children, anxiety. But has COVID contributed, in your opinion, to a major increase or outbreak or more prevalence of anxiety?
1: Absolutely, 100%. 100%. I think COVID itself, in some way, also has... Um, contributed to anxiety the actual um coronavirus um, kids worrying about you know catching coronavirus or parents or grandparents but the main thing the, the biggest thing that has contributed to anxiety has been the isolation yeah that is what i am seeing the separation anxiety that i'm seeing now or the the social anxiety of teens getting back out getting back out into school, getting back out into the world, going to college. The amount of anxiety around getting back out there is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, during the isolation, kids who would have had social anxiety or separation anxiety, it felt wonderful for them because they were safe at home, cocooned, everything was great. But it is now that we are seeing the anxiety in those kids just skyrocket.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of ter- therapists are actually experiencing that in terms of the the number of people presenting presenting with anxiety. Very true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now Karina, um, another question. What brings you most joy in your line of work?
1: In my line of work, I absolutely love to see when declined, so the child or the teenager or the young adults I love to see when they they turn around and say yeah I can do it I believe in myself I've got this now mm-hmm. you know I, I just that just makes everything worthwhile yeah. you you cannot you just cannot explain the feeling of wow I was a part of this I know the client does the work of course the client does the work but I was part of this and for me I think that is so big for me because I've been there. I've been in their shoes, um, especially as a teenager. I've been in that teenager's shoes and I know how much of a struggle it is. So to see a teenager grow and develop in confidence um, and leave behind a fear or a phobia or whatever it may be, it's just the best feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. Indeed, and that you've shown you have tremendous empathy for your clients and for people presenting to you with anxiety.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now, what would your close friends list as your best characteristics? What would they say?
1: I would say, number one, they would say um, and my sense of humour. Yeah. A sense of humour would definitely be number one. My kids would probably say it's a little bit too much. <laughs> um, and then I think, you know, empathy yeah. Listening. Um yeah, just caring, I guess. Um yeah.
0: Okay, excellent. Now, is there anything final point you want to make, Arena, about the work that you do? Mm-hmm. Something that, you know, you haven't expressed before now.
1: I think I would say Aiden um that I think it's it's really good to talk. We hear this all the time, right. but it really is good to talk. It's mm-hmm. so good for people to open up. Even if you are experiencing some emotions that are overwhelming and you don't want to necessarily go to a therapist or whatever, open up to a friend, open up to a relative. It is so good to share that you know what you're going through with somebody else so that number one you can hear it out loud you can hear yourself and i think when we allow those thoughts out and hear mm-hmm. them sometimes we can make sense of them you know yeah, um, and just to know that there is somebody there especially for especially for the young men in our country mm-hmm. i remember when i was studying in minute um I was studying sociology many, many years ago. So we're talking like nearly 25 years ago in, in Minute. Mm-hmm. And my sociology thesis at the time was around suicide, uh, young male suicide. And at the time, it was the second highest um, form of death for young men. And the highest form was road traffic accidents. And of course, some of the road traffic accidents were single car accidents that um, authorities couldn't say were, you know, death by suicide. We're fast forwarding now to 2021 and it's still the same. The figures are still the same. And yeah, I think I just it kind of breaks my heart that maybe a simple conversation could have saved someone's life so i would really urge people to 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 talk
0: something i'd add on to it myself if i may you know yes, if please. if you express yourself to somebody and talk to someone and you're not you don't feel as though you're being listened to go and talk to someone else
1: absolutely
0: that's really important because absolutely. sometimes you know sometimes you know the people we know they can maybe uh say oh you'll be fine you'll be okay you know that not really in other words Go to somebody who who is has the capacity to listen,
1: yes. to truly
0: listen to what you're saying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? When it comes to when it comes to our feelings, validation is so important. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are not being validated, if your feelings, if you're being dismissed, if you feel like you're being dismissed, as you say, you know, talk to somebody. Go and talk to somebody else. Don't leave it there, because it's so important that we validate our own feelings. Um, and, I, you know, I suppose I, I work with kids and teens. So as I speak, speak to parents, validation is, is key. It is absolute key. Cause you, you know, we, we grew up um, in a society where I was to be seen and not heard also. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'll be fine. You'll get over it. You'll be grand. or don't cry or, you know, that type of thing. But you know what? Our emotions are our emotions. They're there to give us a message and they're okay. And once we, Feel them once we validate them. Our emotions feel, oh, I've done my job. She knows I'm here. She knows I'm here. But it's almost like that little child is saying, mammy, 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 mammy. Yeah. And it's going to keep going, mammy, 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 until mammy goes, what? And I have this kind of image that our emotions are the same. They're inside of us pushing us and going, green, it, green, it, And if I'm trying to push it away, it's going to keep going and getting louder and louder and louder and, stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until mm-hmm. I you know, either fall down or turn and say, okay, let's see what you want. Let's deal with this. Um, so yeah. validation is hugely important.
0: And the, the question that comes into my mind as well is, you know, what can happen if a child or children's anxiety is not addressed?
1: Well, in my own experience, um I went on to develop social phobia and, um, I extreme social phobia I could not talk to anybody um, it was terrible I would vanish I would I could be in maybe I could be in someone's company and just have to get up and go away I was I was terrified to talk school was a terrible experience so my level of social pho- phobia was horrific and um, from the anxiety to social phobia I went on to develop depression and um, Suicidal thoughts myself, um, self-harm, and then I went on to develop an actual addiction to self-harm, and then OCD. So that's just from my experience. Um, so I would say while it's something that is very, very manageable, it is very important to learn to manage it.
0: Yeah. And come to come back, very good point, and to come back to the point of talk to someone. And if they don't listen. Talk to someone else. Now, now, Karina, do you do you have specific uh, programs that you you have uh, you can offer to clients?
1: It's a one to one consultation, but also I offer parental programs for parents, and mm-hmm. I also offer school programs for kids. So, generally, each year I offer a Ready, Study, Let Go program, and it's generally offered to sixth class students. Um, And it is, it's a lot of psychoeducation, a few little hypnotherapy tricks and tools are put in there as well. Um, And I love working with kids around hypnotherapy because, you know, you can do it with their eyes open without kids even realizing. So Mm -hmm. I love it. And um, so, yeah. Um, and then a, a, a teens program as well called Heads Up. Um, again, a lot of psychoeducation around emotions and how we can deal with our emotions and our thoughts also. Yeah.
0: Great. And I note as well that you're, apart from all the work that you're doing, the very excellent work you're doing there is that you're, you're a consultant or a regular guest on the morning show on the Southeast Radio
1: Yes, that's right. Alan Corcoran. um, And this was something that started a couple of years ago before, um, before COVID kicked in. Then it went to, because I used to, I used to love going down to Wexford, you know, and going into the, into the station and having a good chat. And then we went online as everything did. Um, But it's great to be able to just, it's great to be able to talk about this and be able to bring my experience to other people. And be a bit, I, I love shouting about the fact, I was that person. Mm-hmm. And now look at me, I couldn't speak to you, Aiden. There is no way I could speak to mm-hmm. you 20 years ago. I wouldn't run a mile. Whereas now I'm able to do this. Yeah. And, and I just love that sense of if I can do it, you can do it. So I love spreading that message also.
0: Excellent. You're, you're a prime example of, of the work that you do and the, the services that you provide for your clients. Now, yeah. Kirina, so how do we contact you?
1: Yes. So I have an email address info at Carina I also have a phone number 087-60-800-42 and I can be contacted on either.
0: Great. And you have a website as well, don't you?
1: Oh, sorry. Yeah. Website. I'm actually in the middle of developing my website. (laughs) So it's not quite complete, but um, quite a bit of information up there. So Karina Great. Quite simple. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Well, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. And uh, just uh, for the record, we're recording this uh, podcast at the beginning of September 2021. So um, it's uh, very applicable for young adults, young children going back to school at this time, so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat to you.
0: Yeah, well, that was uh, Karina McAvoy, uh, hypnotherapist, uh, psychoeducation specialist in County Wexford. Thank you, Karina.
1: Thank you, Aidan.
0: You have been listening to the Professional Hypnotherapist Podcast. Please stop everything and start exploring to find the right solutions for you at eaph.ie. You know you want to make positive beneficial change in your life and yet you may not have the know-how. Allow yourself to discover how you too now can start that change process and begin to reap the benefits through ethical hypnotherapy.